Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the birth of a child is a beautiful event. It really is an amazing thing. Nine months before a child is born, the child does not even exist. But at a certain point, a child is conceived, and for the next nine months, God knits together the baby in the mother's womb until at last a baby is born. It's so complex, it's so intricate, it, it's, it's wonderful how God has designed it. It's such an amazing work of God. But as special as the birth of any child is, the birth of Jesus Christ is far greater than the birth of any other child in this world. It was in a most extraordinary work of God, above and beyond His normal working in when, when regular children are born into this world. Yes, Christ was knit together by God in the womb of Mary, just like all children are in the womb of their mothers. But still, there was something amazingly different about this child. Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in, in the Virgin Mary. And the results of this miracle of God was that Jesus Christ was conceived and born without sin. Without sin. Not one spot, not one blemish. You see, as special as the birth of any child is, there's also a bit of a sad aspect to it. That's because children are conceived and born in a sinful state, a sinful condition. All children are born in need of a Savior. That includes all of us, too, who were born into this world. We, at our birth, at our conception, were in need of a Savior as we were born in sin. That's where the good news of Christ's birth comes in. God has brought forth a righteous child into this world. And He is a child who came to save, and He is a King who came to serve. He is the Savior King who gives us eternal life. And as I preach to you God's Word on this Christmas morning, I'll do so under the following theme. Praise God for the birth of our Savior King, Jesus Christ. We'll see in, in the birth of Christ, uh, yeah, we'll see, first of all, two types of kings, and second, uh, two types of responses, two types of responses to His birth. Now, in our text this morning, we we have two contrasting kings, and we see that throughout uh, Matthew 2. We have, uh, first of all, King Herod, and then we have the baby king, Jesus Christ. And both have been called king of the Jews. Both held that title. But the one couldn't be more different than the other uh, verse 1 says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king. And by this time, Herod was an older man. He was in his, in his mid-70s. He was reaching the end of his life. And he had already spent so much of his life struggling to gain and then retain, hold on to, the throne of Judea. Judea. And Herod stopped at no treachery, deceit, or violence 
to hold on to power. Uh, listen to these examples from, from Herod's life. So the, the Roman Senate, they had granted Herod the title King of the Jews around the year 40 BC or so. Yet even with this, it took Herod three years of fighting to finally uh, secure his hold on the throne. It took a lot of struggle. And throughout his reign, he imprisoned and killed anyone suspected of treason, including many in his own family. Uh, here are some examples. Herod had his uncle Joseph executed for suspected disloyalty. Uh, he put his mother-in-law, Alexandra, in prison because he suspected her of stirring up trouble for him. Sometime later, she too was executed. Uh, Herod's son, Aristobulus, at one point started to gain great popularity with the Jews. As a result, Herod viewed him with suspicion, and so he had some of his own servants drown his own son, Aristobulus. After this, he executed one of his ten wives named Mariamne, whom he viewed with suspicion. Uh, some other family members slandered two of his other sons. Finally, Herod executed them. And finally, he executed another of his sons, Antipater, only a few days before uh, Herod's own death. So I think you get a kind of picture of the kind of king uh, Herod was, killing many of his own family members to hold on to the throne. Uh, because Herod held to many of the Jewish food laws, someone said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son, because at least you would remain alive. And all these things match what we see from Herod in Matthew 2, after Jesus was born, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is he who is born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And that news sent Herod into a tailspin. This was a potential rival to his throne and to his dynasty. Herod wanted the sons who were still alive to rule after him. And so, Herod, he had working so hard to gain the throne, already stopping at nothing to keep it, he was not about to let some upstart child snatch away his throne and his kingdom from his family. And so, Herod sprang into action. First, he told the wise men to make a careful search for the child and then report back to him. Of course, he was lying through his teeth that he too wanted to worship this newborn king. When he found out he was tricked by the wise men, Herod ordered the execution of all the baby boys in Bethlehem, two years old and younger. Now, Herod, he represents, with all of his violence, without all of his hunger for power, he represents a type of king that has arisen many times in this world. He's after his own gain and reputation. He wants power for himself. It's him first, his people second or last. He doesn't want power to serve other people. He wants power to be served by others. And his selfish ambitions means he will do whatever it takes to remain as king. Now, other kings in history have followed this same pattern. Think of men like Joseph Stalin, 
Think of the dictators of China and North Korea and others. And you see the same attitude in many of the kings of the Bible. Think of Nebuchadnezzar who ruled harshly and punished severely. Think of someone like King Saul who desperately tried to kill David to hold on to the throne. And at one point, Saul even threw a spear at his own son, Jonathan, to kill him. So Herod, he represents a type of king that we see more often, and the blessing of God and the promises of God are simply not going to come through Herod or any of those kings like him, right? God all often promised blessing and salvation through a coming king. It was clear it wasn't going to happen through Herod. You see, in King Herod and in all those other kings, we see the opposite of God's design for humans. King Herod gives us a clear picture of our fallen sinful nature at work. Right? The fallen human nature is inherently selfish, self-serving. Fallen humans follow after their own desires, their own kingdoms, their own sins. And when humans are controlled by sinful desires, they will stop at nothing to attain them. And the same sinful heart that Herod had still lives in us too. Right? Sure, we may not have gone on killing sprees like Herod, but that same selfishness, that same self-centeredness, which is at the root of Herod's sin, it still lives in here, in our hearts. Our own ambitions are often put ahead of God's kingdom. Our own desires often trump what God desires. But in contrast to Herod, we have another king in our text. We have our Lord Jesus Christ and what a king he is. You know, Herod came only to dominate and to destroy. Christ came to serve and to save. Herod worked only for his own glory. Christ worked only for the glory of his heavenly Father. Herod killed many people to, to secure a temporary throne. Christ allowed himself to be killed to secure an eternal throne for us. And the manner of their lives was completely different Again, in our text, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, outside the spotlight of Jerusalem. He wasn't even born in a proper hospital or a house. He was born and laid in a manger, maybe in a stable of some kind. And hardly anyone knew he was born, save a few shepherds and these wise men in Matthew 2. And throughout his life, he he didn't look like much, and he didn't seem to attain to much. He worked as a carpenter for, for most of his life. And then when he did carry out his ministry and gained many followers, he still didn't seem to have any kingly aspirations. There was no a lusting after power like Herod. On the one time he appeared to seek the throne on Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem But even this only pointed to his 
humility. Christ rode into Jerusalem on a lowly donkey, much less flashy than a giant war horse on which most kings would ride. And not only that, but one week after riding into Jerusalem, Jesus would be hanging from a cross, and willingly at that, by his own will. And the charge written above him on the cross was this, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. That was the title granted to Herod by the Roman Senate, the King of the Jews. This is the charge written against Jesus at his crucifixion. What a contrast. Right At any time, Christ could have stopped the crucifixion, but he didn't. That's because Christ, our King, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He did not come to kill and destroy as Herod did, to hold on to his own power. No, he came to be killed to save us from our sins. That is what Christ did. And this is the type of king God the Father delights in. Right? God so often says that he opposes the proud. And truly, God does despise proud kings who only serve themselves, who trample on the poor and needy. God loves the humble. He loves humble kings who care about the weak. He delights in kings who look to him for their blessing and trust in his power. You think of King David in the Old Testament, right? He absolutely refused to grab the throne of Israel for himself. He had opportunities to, king, to kill King Saul. He could have gotten rid of the one man who stood in his way to grabbing the throne. But he refused to do it. Instead, he trusted in the Lord. He waited for God's timing to give him the throne of Israel. And Christ had this same attitude as well. In Matthew 4, the devil tempted Jesus by showing him all the kingdoms of the earth. And the devil said, all these I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. Right? That's what Herod would have done. He would have done it in a heartbeat. That's what he wanted. But Christ refused. He would never take the easy path to the throne if it meant sinning against God. Never. He chose the difficult path of obedience and suffering before being crowned as king. And we see that with his birth. Here he is, born in the likeness of men, taking upon himself our weak human nature. Because he walked that path of obedience, he gained an eternal throne. Right? The kings of the earth, including men like Herod, they often expand their kingdoms by violence, by cunning, by sheer military force. But Christ's kingdom is different. He gained the throne by his suffering and death, and his kingdom expands by such simple means. 
After he inherited the throne upon his ascension, his followers were far from a powerful army. It was just a leftover of his followers from during his ministry here on earth. But then the Spirit was poured out. And the gospel was preached, and that's what it took for Christ's kingdom to expand and to take over the entire world. Soon Jesus became king of people from every nation under heaven. And that's so unique to the kingdoms of the earth You know, people from every nation recognize Christ to be the highest king. And they willingly and gladly worship him and serve him, including us here in Canada. Christ's kingship is the envy of every leader on earth. It would have been the, the envy of Herod. He doesn't need to play games at election time to get people to vote for him. He doesn't need to coerce people to follow him. He doesn't need an army to expand his kingdom on earth. He's the king. He always will be, and he he gathers people into his kingdom by the word of his salvation. And his kingdom, it will continue to grow. Such an unflashy way that his kingdom grows simply by the preaching of his word, but it grows. It's often hidden and out of sight, just like his birth was hidden and out of sight of the people. It looks so unimpressive. It's easily dismissed by people of power. It's easily trampled on and stepped on, but still, despite it all, it grows. The kingdom of Christ grows. In the birth of Christ, see the birth of a Savior King whose kingdom shall have no end. And through this Savior King, God blesses a a weary world in need of healing. Uh, Christ was born, first of all, as a son of Adam, right? The first man God created. The sin and death came into this world through the first Adam. It spread to all people. It spread to all nations, But righteousness and eternal life are given us through the last Adam, Jesus Christ. That's why his birth is so special. Just as Adam brought sin and death into this world, Christ brings righteousness and eternal life. Jesus Christ was born a son of Abraham. God promised Abraham long ago that in his offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And here with the wise men, we see a a fulfillment of that coming about. People from all nations, not just Israel, but Israel too, but people from all nations finding their blessing in this offspring of Abraham, just as God had promised. And Jesus Christ was born the son of David. God promised David one of his sons would rule forever. In the birth of Christ, that promised king has finally come. We today are still enjoying the blessings that come from having Christ as our king. And we always will, because Christ's kingdom shall have no end. Brings us to our second point. 
Now, not only do we see two types of kings in our text, Herod and Jesus Christ, we also see two types of responses uh, to Christ's birth. And again, the, the first response is from King Herod himself. <clears throat> we read, the wise men came to Jerusalem asking, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star and have come to worship him. And then verse 3 says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and, and all Jerusalem with him. Right? Herod was, he was deeply disturbed shaken to the core. You know, if this child born in Bethlehem truly was a king, it meant that Herod's plan, his way of living, was in danger. The birth of this king of the Jews attacked his selfish plans, his ambitions, his desires. His own kingdom he was building apart from God was under threat. And the wise men came because they said they saw this king's star when it rose. It was somehow God used a new star to signal to these men that a king was born in Israel. And when they reported this to Herod, he simply couldn't ignore it. With the coming of these wise men and their report, he knew that something big was happening. Someone bigger than himself had come. He, he just could not handle it. And the amazing thing is that Herod, in a way, he believed the Scriptures, the Word of God. It really is amazing when you read this passage. Uh, when, he, when Herod heard the wise men's report, he summoned the chief priests and the scribes, and he asked them where the Christ was to be born. And the scribes answered by quoting from the Old Testament, Micah 5. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Right? Uh, Herod did not scoff at the wise men's report. No. And he also didn't distrust the word of God spoken by the chief priests and the scribes. Herod believes that the prophet Micah was telling the truth about the birth of the Christ, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that a king would be born there. Shockingly, Herod still tries with all his might to work against God's word and God's plan. He believes that Christ has been born. He believes the place of his birth is in Bethlehem, according to the Scriptures, but he doesn't really believe. That is, he doesn't put his trust in this newborn king to save him from his sins. Herod has the faith of the demons, as James chapter 2 describes. He knows the Scriptures, he knows they are true, he knows that the Christ has come, and he shudders, as the demons do. And that's why he orders the murder of all the children of Bethlehem, two years old and under. In his heart of hearts, he knows it's all true. But he hardens his heart. 
He cannot bring himself to worship this newborn king. He cannot bring himself to trust in him. And that's how it goes in the mind of someone who refuses to believe in Jesus Christ. You see, in their heart of hearts, everyone knows there is a God. And when you read the Bible, you can see it's not just some fairy tale made up by people. No. And anyone who reads about the life and the words of Christ cannot walk away untouched. They grip you. This is not the word of man. And in order not to believe in Christ, a person needs to harden his or her heart like Herod did. May that never happen to any of you here or any of you listening online. Don't go that path. See the, the folly of Herod and the end it came that, that came to him. See, people harden their hearts against Christ because the birth of Jesus confronts our way of living. With the birth of the Son of God into the world, we can no longer act like we are all on our own or that we will never have to give account of our lives. The Son of God came into this world. He's King. He lays a claim on our lives. And God's plan for the world will happen. It's testified to by the birth of Jesus Christ. And it confronts the way we are living. And that's what happened to Herod. All that he worked for, all that he desired was threatened by this baby Jesus. So instead of throwing down his wicked plans, accepting Jesus as Lord, he tries to fight against him. But it was foolish. It also made zero sense. He believed the Scriptures that Christ would be born in Bethlehem. He should have also believed the other Scriptures that Christ's kingdom would have no end. There was no sense fighting against it. Herod was never going to win despite his best efforts. But that's what unbelief does. It turns us into fools. <clears throat> and so Herod's foolish plans turned into nothing but frustration, and his life ended only in ruin and death. <clears throat> All his efforts to secure his own kingdom turned out to be completely in vain. He was working against God's plan. He's never going to win. He's invested, he has invested every ounce of his being into holding on to power, but at the end, it just leaves him. He tries to grasp it, but it slips through his fingers. And his children after him, too, they ended in failure as well. <clears throat> and Herod highlights the foolish response to Jesus Christ. It will do no good to harden your heart against Christ. We'll fight against him. It will do no good to ignore him and just try build your own little kingdom apart from God. It will slip through your fingers as it did Herod. 
As the Lord Jesus said later on in life, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world only to lose his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? That's what happened to Herod. But on the opposite side, we have other people in this passage. We have the wise men. They have a true and living faith. It's by no means the faith of the demons where they know the truth but shudder. No. They not only believe that Jesus is the King of the Jews, they actively trust in Him. They trust God's purpose. They come to look for Him. They come to give Him their allegiance, their devotion. And we might wonder, well, how did these men know that the appearance of the star signaled the birth of Christ? We don't know for sure. I think the most likely answer is that the legacy of Daniel in Babylon so many years before this is playing a role here. When Israel was in exile, Daniel too was among the wise men of the east of Babylon. It could be that through men like Daniel, the Lord showed the wise men of Babylon, what would happen when Christ was born. The star would arise and it would signal the birth of a king. We don't know for sure. That could be an explanation. But whatever the case may be, these men came looking for the Christ in fulfillment of God's plan. Came to put their trust in Him. To worship Him to lovingly give him their gifts. They saw Jesus in lowly Bethlehem and they rejoiced. And they believed God's word. They believed, they knew this was not only the king of the Jews, he was the king of the nations. That's why they came from a far nation to acknowledge him as king. Here they are giving him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And here they are finding their blessing from God in this Savior King, the child Jesus Christ. Here we see again the difference between Herod and Christ. King Herod can only demand allegiance, bring it about by force. But Christ instills worship in those who joyfully love Him and find their salvation in Him. These men willingly came, willingly gave their gifts to the Son of God. This is because Jesus is a Savior King this world so badly needs. Right? He's a servant King who came to save us from our sins by His death on the cross. He's a king who overcame death for us by his resurrection from the dead. And he's the eternal king whom we need. Through whom we receive entrance into God's eternal king, kingdom. Through whom we experience the blessing of God forever. Love it. Joyfully celebrate the birth of the Savior King Jesus Christ. You know, we can point our finger at all of Herod's sins. But the reality is that Herod perfectly embodies 
a sinful human heart that all people have. Herod is a symbol of fallen man who selfishly tries to preserve his own life, works against God's plan and God's ways. And if it were not for the grace of God, we would suffer the same judgment as Herod, who simply tried to steal God's glory, who selfishly tried to secure his own kingdom, who honored and exalted himself to the hurt of others, we would suffer his judgment too. But that's why Christ came into this world, to save people like that. He came to pay that price that we might be saved. You see, we don't have any reason to believe King Herod ever repented of his sin or that he died in faith. But if he did, he too would be saved. You know, he committed horrible acts of murder in his life. Just think of these children of Bethlehem. But the blood of Jesus Christ, the Savior King, is powerful enough to save anyone from their sins. It's powerful enough. If Herod repented and believed, he would have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the power of the blood of Christ, powerful enough to pay for my sins and for your sins. So see the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem. Rejoice in Him. Put your faith in Him. and Follow Him all your days. Amen. Let's respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing hymn 20.